Hey everyone, this is Sellers. And this is Stormy. And And this this is is Unforgotten. Unforgotten. Where each episode will highlight unsolved missing, murdered, and suspicious death cases in Alabama in order to raise awareness and hopefully obtain some answers for victims and their families. Please remember that any individual referenced in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. And any opinions or views expressed in the podcast are solely those of participants. Listener discretion is advised as some of the content discussed in the podcast may contain violence or graphic descriptions and may not be suitable for all audiences. Be sure to join our Unforgotten Patreon channel today to gain exclusive benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. By subscribing, you'll also be supporting the efforts of ACCA in assisting families in raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. Welcome to Geneva County, a rural county nestled in the southeastern part of Alabama, right on the Alabama-Florida state line. With a population of just over 26,000, Geneva County is a place where neighbors know each other by name and life moves at a slower pace. But don't be fooled by the peaceful setting. This county has a rich history and vibrant culture that is deeply rooted in Southern tradition. From its rolling hills and lush forests to its fertile farmland and winding rivers, Geneva County is a place of natural beauty and abundant resources. From the bustling town of Geneva to the quiet streets of Slocum to breathtaking scenery of the Choctawatchee River, Geneva County is an ideal place to sit back and relax. However, beneath that natural beauty and southern charm, there's a mystery that's haunted the community for over a decade. The September 2011 disappearance of 19-year-old Shana Janelle Peoples sent shockwaves through the city of Geneva. Diving into this case, we hope to uncover something or jog someone's memory that may help find Shana. When Wendy and Elvis McKee were married in 1994, Elvis seemed to embrace having a built-in family with Wendy's three young children, Aaron, Brandon, and Shana. It appeared that he treated them as though they were his own. Life must have been pretty hectic and challenging with three kids under the age of five. I can't even imagine. They were like little stair steps. Yeah. I, I, my kids were 18 months apart, but I only had two. <laughs> so I think a third one. <laughs> I read that um, there was a report that in 2022, the oldest was 32. The next was mm-hmm. 31. And then Shana would have been 30. And I think about that my niece and nephews are, well, my nephew's six, but my niece is three. And on a day that I have them, I don't know how my mom does it because they're just, they're good kids, but they are all over the place. I Yeah, I'm glad. It was just the two. I love my kiddos. (laughs) Even having three kids that are above the age of five sometimes is hectic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And three that young is a lot, but around 2001, Wendy and Elvis also welcomed another daughter to their family, Krista. So they definitely had their hands full. At some point, 
Shana was diagnosed with bipolar disorder requiring daily medication. That's pretty tough for anyone, but especially for a young person. She also struggled with a speech impediment and delayed cognitive functions. It was reported that at 19, Shana had the mental processes of a 12 to 14-year-old. That's got to be tough. Looking like your age, but not necessarily thinking like your age. Yeah, and I think it would maybe make someone take advantage. I mean, it'd be easy to be taken advantage of because... It's true. And according to the reports, she was very trustworthy. She was friendly and... It's not necessarily a bad thing, but mm-hmm. when it also puts you kind of at a vulnerable state. Right. I think if you think 12 to 14 years old, uh, you know, that's pretty normal for that age to be kind of trusting. And so, you know, it's unfortunate that from the outside looking at her, you wouldn't know that. Yeah. At 19 years old, standing six feet and around 120 pounds, long, sandy blonde hair and brown eyes, Shana was a young woman who stood out. It wasn't just her physical traits, though, that made her easy to remember. It was also her friendly and trusting demeanor. There were comments from locals who were very familiar with her. She would ride her bike to the local store and pick up candy and soda, and they said that she was just really sweet. You know, she was there all the time, and there was nothing bad I saw that anybody had to say about her. Considering she still thought like a 12 to 14 year old, she wasn't allowed to drive, which is understandable because I've tried to start letting my son attempt to um, drive my car, just like pulling it out of the driveway because he's getting his permit this year. (laughs) Sorry. Just that little, like it's not, it's not even that far. And it's like, being on, um, there's a ride I used to ride at the fair with my mom that she really liked. It was a scrambler where it just kind of like slung you back and forth. That's what it feels like when he's driving. It's like, brake, gas, brake, gas. Oh, it's going to be a rough one. Yeah, I don't envy you going through that right now. <laughs> oh. Shana also didn't have a job. But like I said, she was well known in the community because she frequently rode her bike to the stores. And I think in general, she had a particular area that she stayed in, a routine that she kind of followed during the day, seeing people that she would normally see. Despite the challenges that she faced, though, she was determined to be independent and make her own decisions. It was likely the desire to be independent that led Shana to leaving her parents' home and moving in with her boyfriend, Wendell Hudspeth, who was roughly 26 years older than her. Mm. There, yeah, uh, it gave me pause, put it that way. Their home on North Morris Street was just two blocks from her parents. It was reported that her parents weren't exactly thrilled with Shana's decision to move in with Wendell. I imagine. Yeah, (laughs) but it does appear she was frequently back and forth between them. So she was at home quite a lot. And maybe it was the proximity that kind of smoothed things over. I mean, I still can't imagine being okay with it. Yeah. I guess when you think about 19, regardless of what her mental capacity was at the time, she's still an adult and can make her own decisions. So I guess. I think it's unfortunate because it sounds to me more than, I mean, she may have had intelligence, you know, a detriment there, but it almost sounds like it's more 
the ability to make a good decision. Kids don't make great decisions and they don't have, they have impaired judgment, I guess, because they're young. And that's the kind of thing that I keep picturing. A lot like a preteen girl would mm-hmm. want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't yeah. mean that she couldn't think things through or that she didn't understand. But yep. but that judgment. There's yeah. that attitude that comes along with that development. Mm-hmm. And that likely played into it. Yeah. That's just an opinion. Also reported, though, Wendell had a number of friends and associates that hung out at or near their house. And this comes up later when we talk about the actual things that were known at the time. But I think that they were frequently at their house. I saw different Mm -hmm. comments. There was actually, I wish I'd wrote down the name of, there was a good YouTube video that I actually watched the other night. It's a retired law enforcement officer and he and his wife do it. We'll link it in the details. And people were commenting and interacting because he did it live on YouTube. You know, his friends may have been hanging around more frequently than just like, oh, stopping by. Yeah. Which is concerning because there is that 26-year age gap. Mm -hmm. But then also when you factor in that this is someone who likely behaves like a early teenager, that's a little bit concerning. It is. And, you know, even if she was so lucky to have her boyfriend, albeit an older boyfriend, maybe he understood this and treated her well and that sort of thing. But not everybody really gets that. No. And I think there's nothing wrong with age gaps. I know they're all out there. But it works for some people. But you have to have a level of understanding there because you're not going to be at the same maturity level. Mm Mm-hmm. But if it's somebody who is just maybe taking advantage of the situation, and I'm not saying that's what it was, but there's the potential for that. Right. Risk factors. Mm -hmm. There's conflicting information in the media reports from over the years. So we called Geneva Police Department. Police Department? Yes, ma'am. I'm from the Alabama Cold And we're lucky enough to actually catch Chief Pepper Mock, who was incredibly helpful. I was caught off guard because we never get to talk to somebody on the first attempt. And so when the operator actually changed my call, when you call Geneva, it actually goes to basically their emergency services. And you can go to the sheriff's office or the fire department or the police department. So I fully expected to get a voicemail, a secretary, leave a message. But when the operator transferred me and he actually answered the phone, Hello, Jesus. I was not prepared. I am. I don't blame you. I mean, how often has this happened? I mean, even people we've talked to, we've still had to leave messages. I think I even said, "Oh, it's you." You know, like <laughs> you know, I was not expect very happy about it. So not complaining. Um, but so, I, Chief Mock, thank you for talking to yes, sellers here. <laughs> appreciate it because even without having a whole list of questions together, which he probably appreciates, <laughs> it was a really nice conversation. And I talked to him about the fact that there's really not a lot of news that comes out of Geneva County as far as crime. It seems like they really kind of have their stuff together over there. And we don't get a lot of stuff from Geneva County. I think Shana's the only case that we've got right now. 
Yeah, we kind of did a little search even to see if there were any others, and we kind of came up short, didn't we? Yeah, there was a really bad incident in, I think, 2009, where a guy kind of went on a shooting spree and killed multiple people. Mm. And that's devastating. But that's really the only major thing. I say that, and hopefully that's not offensive to anyone, because we could have missed something um, outside of Shana's disappearance. So if we're missing somebody, let us know so we can get them added. But all in all, it looks like it's one of the safer counties in comparison to some of the other counties we've talked about. Yeah. And I was really impressed with the efforts that they've made on Shana's case to try to locate her. Sometimes we hear about investigations that are active for years, but as the extent to how active they are is really kind of unknown because there's not a lot in the press. Sometimes they're not really willing to talk to you. Um, or if you do talk to somebody, they'll say, oh, I'm not really sure that falls in the archives. Yeah. It was really nice to hear that this actually is an active investigation. This is something that they're following up on on a weekly basis. That's crazy. If they're getting tips and information, they're actually following up on it. It's not getting um it's not getting put to the side or pushed down the totem pole. They are really on top of this. And they stay in contact with Shana's family too. It was really kind of encouraging, I think, talking to him. Yeah. That's really awesome. I mean, you know, we're talking 12 years or almost 12 years. Yeah. 2011. He was able to clear up a good bit of stuff for us. Granted, there are some things that he can't tell us because it is an active investigation. But he confirmed some things that we did know based on what was out there in the media. Shana had a regular routine of walking or riding her bike between her house and her parents with frequent stops at a nearby store to purchase soda and candy. She was meticulous in her routines. She made sure that she always turned off the TV and that she locked the door when she left. And I think that's probably habits that are developed. I think they're routines that usually people with developmentally challenged kids, they kind of teach them routines as they're growing up. It's part of just how they um, learn to manage life, I guess. Um, And it helps them feel safe. It does, yeah. It's the security of knowing every day what you're going to do or day-to-day, week-to-week. It might change a little bit, but yeah. However, September 8th, 2011 was anything but normal for Shana. There's not a whole lot known about the early part of the day. Shana had a brief phone call with her boyfriend that afternoon, which was also the last call Shana had, according to her records. A boy reported that he saw Shana on his bus ride home from school, which puts the last reported sighting sometime between 3 and 5 p.m. I'm going to say, I don't know their bus routes there, but I did look to see what time school gets out, and Mm -hmm. it's pretty typical, around 3 o'clock. But depending on how many kids they had to drop off or how how long the bus route was, um... There are some kids here who have to ride 45 minutes on a bus ride to get to school. So there could be a pretty big gap there from the time 
he got on the bus and was passing through. Mm -hmm. Just to be safe, we'll say three to five. During that three to five window, her cell phone was turned off at about four o'clock. That makes sense if you're thinking, you know, that could even be around the time the kids saw her. It could be, yeah. And with her phone being turned off at four, and I think I read that she regularly used her phone. So that seems a little odd. If you think about that a kid's coming home from school, then you've got, I'm going to say, just because it's not that big of a county, 3 to 3.30. Mm-hmm. That could be way off base. Um, but I know here the schools will sometimes let the bus riders out a few minutes early so that there's not just all this congestion between bus buses trying to load kids and parents trying to pick their kids up. You know, mm-hmm. yep. And then her phone cuts off at four. It almost makes you think that maybe something happened in a more narrow range of three thirty to four. Yeah, that does kind of make you wonder. And I don't want to get into a long discussion about cell phone service because we tend to do that when we have these questions come up. But um, I wonder if they can tell the difference between the battery dying and it being unavailable completely or whether it was actually turned off so location services like emergency location services might have still been available so i did ask about that and unfortunately understandably that was something he was not willing to talk to me about um i understand that and i get it you know but it sounds like he might know that there is the possibility of finding that out we just aren't being we can't he wouldn't share that information. Right. And I'm sure that's yeah. something that they looked into because her phone was never found. Mm-hmm. But considering it is an active investigation, he's not going to, that's just not information that he's willing to share publicly. And I don't right. blame him because you, there's things that we've talked about this before. There are certain things that aren't good to be out in the public. Yep. You don't want to give people a heads up that you're on to them. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, some things will help a case for the public to know, and some things definitely will could hinder a case. Exactly. That's probably why there's um, not any named persons of interest in this case. But you don't want to give somebody the time to get rid of any evidence that might be there. You don't want to give them time to run. So it's understandable. I'm not even mad yeah. about it because he answered the phone. <laughs> yeah. We're going to keep saying, talking about that, aren't we? Because <laughs> this yeah. was, maybe it'll, it was such a nice surprise. It was. And maybe some other people want to start living up to the standard that's been created. And it's right on the first call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. According to early reports, law enforcement stated an unnamed friend of Shana's came by her home and found the front door open and the TV on, which is obviously out of her routine. Since the investigation is active, again, the missing person report isn't public information. So we're not sure who actually reported Shana missing or the exact time that afternoon. When investigators arrived, they discovered that Shana's personal belongings were still inside, except for her phone. And her bike was also at her house. Based on the articles that we read, it sounded like Shayna had last been seen walking down Morris Street. But Chief Mock clarified for us that the little boy on the bus actually just saw Shayna standing in her yard. 
He also confirmed that there were no signs of a struggle inside the house and that neighbors hadn't reported seeing or hearing anything that was out of the ordinary that day. And just based on the conversation, I get the impression that as nice and friendly as Shana was, she also had a little bit of a stubborn streak in her that maybe she was a little headstrong. And it could be one of those things where, you know, everybody has a limit. Yeah. Once you reach that limit, you're just done. Yeah. Nobody was going to make her do something that she didn't want to do. Yeah. So it makes it almost seem like the lack of a struggle, the fact that the neighbors didn't hear or see anything abnormal, mm-hmm. makes me think it was somebody that knew her. Most definitely. I mean, especially the whole struggle part. I mean, other than actually being outside and not touching anything, you know, if if it happened in the house and you, you would think maybe it did if the door was open. that Maybe somebody came to the house and she let them in because she knew them. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, everybody knows a nosy neighbor that knows everything mm-hmm. that's going on. It doesn't matter whether yeah. they live like right next door to you or like several houses down. Somebody in your neighborhood knows everything going on. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I'll just leave it at that. And sometimes they're <laughs> the ones that live right next door to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you would think somebody in the neighborhood would have noticed if there had been somebody strange hanging around that didn't normally hang around. Right. Or if it was somebody that came to her house that doesn't normally. Granted, it was the middle of the day, so maybe people were at work. That's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, where you think, well... If it was during the day, there's people all over the place, but not necessarily if it's in a neighborhood where most of the people do have day jobs, you know, type of a thing. And we're talking about a city, I think, that has a little over 4,000 people in it. So it's kind of small. Yeah, that's not big. But that has its perks, again, because in a city that size, everybody knows everybody. Yep, I was just going to say that. (laughs) So if somebody was there that shouldn't have been there, regardless of whether it was at Shana's house or walking down the street or in a vehicle that maybe wasn't common, somebody would have noticed. Yeah. And there are comments that law enforcement have made over the years, including Chief Mock, where they say they think that the person or persons responsible are still in the community. That's telling. I mean, it is. You know, we don't know who, obviously, but that is telling. There was actually on the 10th anniversary of Shana's disappearance, a lot of the news stations did coverage for that. I always hate calling mm-hmm. them anniversaries because that just doesn't seem appropriate. I know. I don't feel like it encompasses what that's about, you know. True. Yeah. You don't really equate anniversary with loss most of the time and so i don't always like the way that comes out but that's how all the articles are read and so far i haven't been able to come up with a better way to say it the only time once in a while it just fits the way you're talking and i can say like the 10th year of her disappearance or something like that but when you're saying it in context to like a a general way to say it it's really hard to say anything else So 10 years would have been 2021. Mm -hmm. And in one of those media articles, Chief Mock stated, It should bother everybody in this city because it's somebody local. It's probably somebody that you see around town every day that's responsible for. I can imagine. In my head, I'm like, (laughs) right on. 
Because that's exactly mm-hmm. what we've been saying in past episodes too. If you know something, say something. What would yes. you want to happen if this were your child? If somebody's out there that knows anything, please call. We want her home. That's all. I'm not even mad. I, I'm not. I just want her home. I, I, I would never be quiet. No. If it was mine. And I know everybody is different, so I'm not condemning anybody for how they do that. But I know, I think, in my own personal world, I would probably be as vocal as I could about it. And I know it's one of those things where you can always use that argument of, well, you don't really know what you would do until you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. But I am freaking out if my kids aren't answering their phone within yeah. the amount of time that I think they should be answering. Yeah. I don't care. I think sometimes we know ourselves practice, a little know? bit <laughs> about, yeah. Yeah. I think we know ourselves a little bit in as much as how we react to certain situations. Granted, you know, we're lucky enough not to have been in that situation. I mean, some of these people aren't even our children and we're, yeah, you know, fussing about yeah. it. In that same article, he also said he had a feeling that the person or persons responsible were still in the Geneva community. So it's a good, good indication that somebody around there should be feeling really bad. Yeah, I would say nervous. And if you're out there, they're on to you. <laughs> exactly. So you might as well just come forward now. And it was my first thought. And I know it's probably going to be other people's thought. Did anybody talk to the boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And according to statements that Elvis made, the boyfriend was actually given a polygraph and passed. I did ask about that today, and we were able to confirm he was given a polygraph, but don't take that as he passed or failed. I just don't know. And we'll go back well, to a previous. That's dis- fair. Yeah. Yeah. And- We'll go back to a previous discussion about polygraphs are only as good as the examiner and the questions being posed anyway. That is absolutely 100% true. You know, we're not saying that even the simple, you know, the less um, detailed, you know, tests aren't necessarily bad. They just aren't as thorough. And passing a polygraph doesn't always mean somebody is innocent. Just like failing a polygraph doesn't always mean that somebody's guilty. Um, and there's a reason they're not admissible. That's exactly where I was going with that. Yep. I think they are a good tool. Mm-hmm. Because you don't get a lot of, when you get the polygraph results, it's just the question and the answer, essentially. Yeah. You're not there to observe how the person's behaving. Um, you rely on the person giving the test to convey all of that, yeah. Right, and if you don't know who that is well enough to know okay yeah they would do a good job or no they would definitely not do a good job or they're just not that detailed and they don't really say much other than they this is what the test reads yeah and maybe maybe they didn't even ask questions that were relevant or maybe there wasn't questions available at the time that maybe should have been asked yeah things change the Mm -hmm. investigation evolves the situation evolves Mm -hmm. Maybe there are things known now that should have been asked then, like you said. Yeah. Elvis also stated in interviews that the boyfriend was reportedly 20 to 30 miles away at the time of Shana's disappearance. Though, I saw comments on different 
media reports um, on that YouTube video that I was talking about mm-hmm. there seemed to indicate otherwise. Hmm. But even if he, I mean, I guess it would depend on what time he talked to her, what yeah. time the phone call was with them to know whether he could have gotten back in, in enough time. That's one thing that um, I was unprepared for today. <laughs> so I did send that in my follow-up email too to ask were his whereabouts confirmed? Had he been ruled out? What is interesting though is that in 2011, Brad Dennis, who's the former search and rescue director of Class Kids, told Jane Velez, who has that Missing in America show on HLN, mm-hmm. that at least one of Wendell's friends slash acquaintances was in that area during the time that Shana disappeared. Wow. Hmm. He admitted, Jane said, you know, there's red flags everywhere because of this age gap with the boyfriend. And Brad acknowledged, yeah, there are some red flags there. He didn't say whether Wendell was in the area, but he did say at least one of his friends slash acquaintances was in the area at the time. He didn't say how close in the area what time or anything like that he really didn't go into detail that comment was made yeah um oh it does give you pause it does to think that if there's persons or persons you know and people talk over the years what have you heard and if you haven't told the geneva police department you need to tell them whether you think it's important or not it's always those little things that you don't think are important that actually some of them are like beyond important and you just you just don't know that you know right i mean you might know a friend of a friend and then and not have remembered or not thought about it too much but realize that oh but they're friends of theirs you know that sort of thing so say matters sometimes mm -hmm. because it lines up with other things even if you don't know that whether If you think, I'm not sending this in because I don't know if it's true and I don't want to waste their time, scratch that thought, send it in. Rumors sometimes matter because even sometimes it's just the idea that there was a rumor about something that can give you a clue. If there's other circumstantial evidence to support that, then it does help give them a lead. Mm -hmm. Wendell did give a comment to the press early on. Only found one, but there are some articles that have been archived. So that doesn't mean there weren't more. And unfortunately, this specific article, there was a video interview with him. I think it was at like a vigil or something like that. And he was there. Maybe the reporter just stopped him. But the videos aren't available on Wayback Machine. When you pull Mm, up the actual archived page, you can't play those. So the actual transcript of his comment, I hope, just cuts off. Mm -hmm. Um. I can't be 100% sure because, like I said, I didn't see the video. I'm hoping that maybe we can track it down on YouTube. Yeah, that would be Um, great. Yeah. But he said, I want her home safe. She's been real good to me in my life, and she changed my world. And and then it just stops. That's a shame. And I feel like there was more to it because surely the news wouldn't have written. Yeah, you would think. Or ended his comment with, and uh. Yeah, I don't think that, yeah. I mean, unless it was just bad editing and they weren't going to include the ANDA. But still, I mean, that was <laughs> didn't still... didn't mean to leave it in there. Yeah. That happens sometimes. Yeah. Or, you know, 
he was going to go ahead and say something else, but they didn't want it as part of the news podcast, you know. So in that case, I there know, was still be even more yes, interesting. I was just going to say, which means that would be good information to have anyway. Exactly. Oh, maybe the news place has it. We just didn't have time to yeah. ask them. I also asked Chief Monk about a statement that was made on the Doe Network. It said jewelry belonging to Shana had been found in 2012, but didn't lead to any new information. He said he wasn't sure that that was accurate and that it was the first time that he had actually heard of any jewelry. I tend to agree with him because there's really no mention of that anywhere else. And I have no idea where that comment came from. I wonder. It would be interesting to know. I wonder if it wasn't like. Usually when somebody, a child goes missing, especially, but usually when people go missing through the years, they re-interview the parents and friends and things like that. And I kind of wonder if it wasn't something that wasn't really related, like they didn't find it somewhere mysterious. Like maybe mom could have said, oh, I came across this and it reminded me of her type of a thing, rather than an actual clue. You know, they found it like in a dirt flower garden or something, you know. That's a really good point, because to be fair, there's part of the conflicting information comes from her parents. Mm -hmm. There's quotes in different articles where they're saying very opposite things. And I don't think this is anything that was intentional on their part. Um, And I didn't get the impression through talking with Chief Mock today that he thought it was either. I could be wrong. Um, But I think that is part of where some of the confusion came from. Um, And I don't even know that it was in articles that were back-to-back, per se. It could be years down the road and memories start to fade over time. And Absolutely, yeah. You know, so part of that's just, is it something that's substantial or not? Right. In in my mind, it kind of is. And, you know, there is also the idea that grieving parents... Sometimes when they talk about their loved one, especially if it's in the moment where it's new and everything, sometimes they're upset and they don't really have a a coherent stream of thought, so to say. And so sometimes even then they may say something that seems conflicting. So, And your mind probably box out certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that you sometimes under stress, you can like remember things with perfect clarity, but then other times you are just like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just don't know. I mean, there are times when this is kind of scary, but there are times when I get in my car to drive somewhere and especially if it's a route that I'm familiar with and the radio's on, I have no idea how I got there. I mean, obviously, oh, I drove. I have had those experiences. Oh, my heavens. But it's like, weird. I was just at home. How did I get here? Yeah. And it's scary because... I'm so glad it doesn't just happen. Hopefully. <laughs> obviously, I was driving safe, but many times have I not driven safe because I didn't... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I always drive safe. Um, it's all just a story. <laughs> yeah. It was just an <laughs> Just kidding. Hypothetical. <laughs> Theoretically, that could happen to somebody that's not me. <laughs> There's been numerous searches involving numerous agencies, including SBI and the FBI, which is kind of interesting because we don't often see them taking such an active role in an investigation. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw that. 
I mean, the fact that there's a far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess surprise isn't quite a bit. It just is, I guess, maybe, I don't know. It just seemed unusual to me, you know, especially if the SBI was there. And then, of course, they're local. Well, even in Um, cases where we read that the FBI has been involved, you don't necessarily see them putting out fires. No. And Um, it seems to me like when the FBI gets involved, it's usually having something to do with, like, across border lines. So it becomes federal instead of just state. Well, if you think about the fact that they're sitting right on the Florida line, Mm. maybe that's part of it. Could be. I know that there have been a lot of searches and there have been a lot of people involved and they don't always talk about where those searches actually are. Um, They'll just say a location near Geneva. That was where one of them was. Um, And they don't always make it publicly known when they do searches. So maybe it's just simply the proximity of the Florida line, the border, that the FBI took a more active role in because it seems like there could be a higher than usual chance that it will cross state lines. That's true. Yeah. I guess now it doesn't bother me as much as it did. That's kind of where I'm at with it, too, because it just it did kind of stop me for a second when I first Mm -hmm. saw it. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad because I more resources. They stayed involved. Yeah, it is more resources. Yeah. Um so it's good to know for sure. Like it is something that just came in, you know. Mhm. I mean, weekly. Jeez. I, I don't think even law enforcement who do, you know, continually check on cases that are even 5 years old, let alone 10 or 12 years old. It's not generally weekly unless they have something, a specific lead that's taking them there. But and you know what's kind of outstanding about it is mm-hmm. that they still get tips that frequently. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty awesome. I do too. It says something about the community too, I think. Even if it hasn't stayed out in a more broad area at the forefront, mm-hmm. at least in that community it has. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of like Andrea's case. That's true. Yeah. Th- that community definitely rallied for her. And it looks like if you go through and you look at different things that have been posted about Shana, there's the fine Shana People's Facebook page. It looks like a lot of the community really stepped up to help. There was a big search right after she went missing. And I think there were tons of volunteers that showed up to help do that. Um, and there's constantly, you know, people talking over the years about helping do searches or whatever they can do. And I think that is really great because for a family that's going through this, they need that community support. Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it by myself. I don't know that. I mean, you would do what you have to do, but I don't know that I could do it by myself. I think it takes a toll on a person. It don't get no easier. We just wish somebody would come forward and let us know, give us something, you know. Let us know what happened to our daughter. All it takes is for one person to come forward. Somebody say something. Please. As Sellers mentioned earlier, shortly after her disappearance, 
her family created the Fine Chain of Peoples Facebook page to help raise awareness. According to the post on the page, Elvis was admitted to the hospital not long after Shana's disappearance. Upon his release, he resumed searching for Shana until he ended up in the hospital again due to heart problems. He actually called into the Jane Velez's HLN show on December 6, 2011, from the hospital. That's why Brad Dennis was also on that show. Yeah. Um, to do the interview. Yeah, this is a stark um, example exactly. of this how whether the toll it takes. Yeah, the toll that it takes on a person and the sport that's needed. Yeah. And he, when he called in, he almost couldn't talk to do the introduction because he was just so emotionally distraught. And I'm sure that's stressful too, when you're dealing with health issues on top of trying to deal with this part too. Of course. Yeah. And you're wanting to be out there looking and you can't be out there looking. Um, So I'm sure that that was pretty tough. Yeah. Well, and it's who's to say that the stress of what happened didn't um, exacerbate. Yeah. It definitely could make the conditions worse or an unknown condition crop up, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you think about heart problems. You know, sometimes I wonder if it isn't broken to some degree. And that would make a lot of sense because I'm not sure who Shana and her brother's father is. Mm -hmm. But Elvis was very involved. And when you read and listen to the interviews, he it seems like he was their father. Yeah. He probably was devastated because um, as far as he was concerned, these were his children. And sometimes blood relations don't matter. Mm-hmm. 100%. I agree with you. I know they always say blood is thicker than water, but that is not always the case. Yeah. Well, sadly... With all of the health issues and hitting fight, you know, to be able to be healthy enough to continue looking for Shana. Unfortunately, Elvis passed away unexpectedly in 2022, and he was never able to find out what happened to Shana. And that just breaks my heart. Every time. It seems like that happens so often. At the time of her disappearance, it was reported that Shana was wearing white pants, a blue and green blouse with flip-flops. She may also go by Shana McKee. According to the FBI flyer, Shana is 6 foot and around 120 pounds, with long, sandy blonde to brown hair and brown eyes. She also has a birthmark on the inside of her leg above her knee, although it doesn't state which leg. And typically, this is where we would give you the phone number to contact Geneva Police Department if you had information. But this time, we've got a message from Chief Mock, and he'll give you the information at the end of his comment. Uh, well, you know, it's been almost 12 years. Uh, Shannon Peoples has been missing. Uh, her family really love to have some answers and make closure. Uh, you know, that we'd, we'd like to have some answers. We'd love to, to be able to prove the people responsible for this. We're, we're responsible. And we would like to find Shannon. Uh, that if anybody has information, we'd like them to come forward, no matter how little it is, uh, no matter how insignificant they think that it may be, uh, please come talk to us and uh, let us make that decision. 
or don't hold anything back about this person in the community that, that, that you, may, you may have actually heard or seen something out of them that would, that would lead you to believe. Not, not a rumor, but, but something that you've seen yourself that would maybe help us with this case. Please come forward. And what phone number should anybody with information call? Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket, including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research, share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy. Artwork by Sellers. Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening, and remember, justice may be delayed, but the victims and their families remain unforgotten.